Hello and welcome to the Pet Purpose Podcast. This is a podcast for passionate pet parents who want to take pet parenting to the next level. Our audience are always looking for ways to provide the best care for their companions. I'm Brett the Vet and each episode I will share useful information and key takeouts that you can easily adopt to magnify the care, adventure and excitement that you enjoy by having committed to becoming a dedicated pet parent just like me. This episode of the Pet Purpose Podcast is brought to you by tailovation.com.au. Tailovation is the site for passionate pet parents looking for credible information and quality products for their pets. Visit tailovation.com.au and follow along on socials. The handle on both Instagram and Facebook is at tailovation. Instead of standing ovation, it's a tail ovation. It's tails up to that. Now let's get started with today's episode. What do you say about that, boy? Well, in today's episode of the Pet Purpose Podcast, we're going to be kicking off a mini-series on dealing with the end of life in our pets. Now, in this three-part mini-series, we'll cover off how to know when it's the right time to say goodbye. Then in part two, we'll look at what happens to our pet's remains once we've made that very difficult decision to say goodbye. And then in the third and final part of the mini-series, we'll discuss how to deal with the grief of losing a pet. So to kick off the mini-series, I'm very pleased to be joined today by my guest, uh, Dr. Courtney Prue. Now, Courtney is a veterinarian who focuses on compassionate end-of-life care in the comfort of the home environment. And this is through her business, which is called Rest Your Paws. So, Courtney, a warm welcome to the Pet Purpose Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you share the mic with me today. Oh, thank you for having me, Brett. I'm really excited to be here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, Courtney, uh, you know, unfortunately, no one is immortal and neither are our pets. And, um, you know, given the fact that our pets' lives are generally much shorter than our own lifespan, that means that at some point in our lives as pet parents, you know, we'll all be faced with a very difficult period of losing a pet. And I guess in most instances, um, this will involve euthanasia. And exactly when to euthanize, you know, is is by no means an easy decision. Now, when our pets are young and sprightly, they, and they become unwell, the emphasis is obviously trying to resolve that illness and getting them back to a good state of health. But during the end of life period of our pets, this becomes a little bit more gray um, as the emphasis shifts from trying to get our pet back to good health. In other words, from trying to get a cure and it shifts more to just keeping them as comfortable as possible, you know, as they head towards end of life. And that's sometimes referred to as palliative care. So, Courtney, perhaps for our listeners, um, you know, we'll get into some of the details of euthanasia, but perhaps can you give our listeners just an idea of what end of life and palliative care is? Yeah, absolutely. So, as a palliative care veterinarian, exactly as you said, I, I generally focus on helping pets at the end of their life. And so that means generally that they've either been diagnosed with a life-limiting illness um, where they don't, there's no cure. um, And they know that the the prognosis is poor and their pet may have been given weeks or months or even days um, left to live. 
Um, or the pet is just very elderly and has reached the end of their natural lifespan. And the, the focus of the veterinary care at that point in the pet's life is really just to provide comfort care. And that's what I call it. Right. it it's really just to try to make the pet's quality of life as good as it can possibly be in the final stages of their life and really just eliminate any signs of disease that the pet may be showing, make yeah. sure that they're not experiencing any discomfort or pain and really allow families to be able to spend as much quality time with their pet as possible um, yeah. and really enjoy the time they have left where they know that their pet is comfortable and able to really um uh, you know, have a, have a nice time for the, for the remainder of their life with their yeah. family and also really to support the families and, and the, you know, to be able to make the decision at the right time for their pet. Cause as you say, it's really hard to know when to, you know, to, to think about putting your pet to sleep and you often need help from a veterinarian or someone who knows exactly what is happening and, and why yeah. it's happening. So my role on that side of things is not just to help the pet feel better and to give you more time, but also to provide education for families about their pet's condition and, and help yeah. them to know when to make the decision at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you, you raised yeah. some important points there, which is, you know, providing that comfort, managing the pain and just helping prepare the family so Courtney we've said you know already multiple times that dealing with the end of life in our pets is very difficult so how should one go about preparing for end of life what are some of the things that we need to take into consideration when preparing for this end of life phase yeah I think the one of the biggest ways that families can become prepared is to really educate themselves or, and have the help of a veterinarian to educate them about yeah. what what is the condition that the pet has and how will that continue to progress over time and yeah. most importantly, I would say what are the symptoms of that disease? that could end up getting their pet into trouble as it progresses? And what are the signs they need to look out for to be sort of, uh, I guess, make you worried that things could get bad soon? So, you know, yes. if if there's likely to be any issues with breathing or, you know, incontinence or pain as the disease progresses, you want to know about that so that you can act ahead of time and prevent any yeah. unnecessary suffering for your pet. So being prepared on that side of things is, is really important. And I think also, if you, the more you know about your pet's condition, the more you know whether or not it's something that you're going to be physically able to deal with. You know, it's a lot of yeah. responsibility for pet owners to care for elderly pets and terminally ill pets. It takes a yeah. lot of time. Um, sometimes it can be financially really troublesome for families to be able to afford all of the medications and the care that they may need. And um, and I think, you know, making sure that you're in a position where you can actually, um, you know, handle that level of care is, is really important yeah. and, and part of being prepared for what the end of life will have in store for you. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you're so right that, you know, it's it's a very tough decision, as we've said, but it's a decision that doesn't need to be made alone. 
and in solitude. And as you say, we should be guided by um, the veterinarian's advice as um, pet owners and, you know, also getting support from friends and family. So, yeah, seek guidance from, from your veterinarian, as Courtney has said, and they can give you an idea of any long-term illnesses to expect or, or prognoses or the likely outcomes or any complications. So it can just provide a, a better picture for, for, for you as a pet owner during these difficult times. So, Courtney, how, you know, we said you could get support from not only your vet, first and foremost, but also other members of the family. But how does one also prepare other members of the family? Um, and, and, and perhaps in particular, if there's any children involved, do you have any thoughts around that as well? Yeah, Brett, that's a question I get all the time is, uh, you know, you've it's hard enough as a family member to learn that your pet has reached the end of their life. And then also then thinking, well, how am I going to tell my family and the kids yeah. this is going to be heartbreaking? And I and people ask me all the time, you know, what should I do? And I think the main thing I try to tell parents is, you know, be as honest as you possibly can with your kids and use yeah. real terminology don't shy away from the topic by saying things like he's just going to go to sleep and he's not going to wake up because it can be yeah. confusing for kids. So I think it's really important to, you know, to explain death in, in as honest a way as possible because your children are more resilient than you think. And yeah. they will also be so grateful that you trusted them enough to be open and you felt that they were mature enough to have a real discussion about it. And yeah. I find that most of the kids do really well when the parents are really honest with them. And yeah. I think in terms of going back to your question about how to prepare for you know your pets passing with your children is to to try to find really beautiful ways to memorialize the life of your pet you know yeah. in the coming days or weeks to them passing and i have a lot of families that will make beautiful cards with their kids um you know goodbye cards to give to their pet on the day when they pass or yeah take the their pets out to their favorite place with the kids and have a beautiful day spoiling him with delicious treats and, <laughs> and yeah. dog cookies and yeah. you know delicious meals and and just having a really nice few days to weeks with the pet and the family and answer any questions that they may have leading up to it as honestly as you can and um you, I, I think that most parents are, are quite surprised how well children deal with it at the time of the appointment yeah and i think yeah. um you know it's an important point is to have all members of the family involved and perhaps not everybody will have the same opinion but as long as everybody's opinion is heard and as long as everyone realizes that in the end um, the ultimate decision should be made in the best interests of the pet I think if that is the primary focus, then, you know, that becomes a lot more palatable for everyone to accept um, yeah. and makes things a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you you know, I often will say, you know, you, not everyone has to be at the appointment. Some people just don't feel comfortable being there. But I do think it's important to give everyone the option of whether or not they want to be a part of the final goodbye or yeah. whether or not 
they they don't. But I think, you know, be as honest as you can with your family and, and especially small children and give and give the, them the option to make the decision that they feel most comfortable with. Yeah. And I think you touched on an important point there. Some of the decisions when you're preparing for for this event with your family is, um, as Courtney's just said, you know, the, who in the family would like to be present during the euthanasia? Um, other decisions might be whether it's uh, at, at home or uh, in, in the clinic uh, euthanasia, and, and we'll touch on that in, in, in a little while. But also, you know, as Courtney mentioned, what would you like to do with uh, the remains of, of your pet and, and how do you want to um, provide some memories of that? And in, as I mentioned in the introduction to this episode, in the second part of this mini-series, you know, we'll talk about some of the options in terms of memorabilia for, for your pets. So um, keep a, a listen out for that future episode as well. So, Courtney, what are some of the perhaps emotional and, and physical factors that need to be considered, you know, when deciding on on, on the right time. Do you have any thoughts for our listeners on that? Do you mean in terms of the, the family's emotional well-being? Yeah. So just, as, sorry. as you rightly um, said, you know, we you you've already touched on things like financial concerns, um, other limitations, and yeah. um, that is a very important part of the decision-making process that if you know, a pet requires a certain level of care, but the family's not able to actually provide that level of care. And if that level of care isn't provided, then it would impact negatively on the pet's quality of life. Then obviously that is an important decision to to take into account. But other than that, how does one know as a pet owner, when, when is the right time? What, what are some of the signals one might look out for as to when is the right time? You know, one doesn't want to hold on for too long, um, but at the same time, yeah. one doesn't want to let go too early. So what? how does one balance yeah. these difficulties? Yeah, and I think that is probably the most difficult, I guess, decision that you're faced with at the end of the life of your pet yeah. because everything in you is saying that you love your pet so much and you would yeah. want to keep them forever and you want yeah. you've spent your whole life doing everything you can to make sure that they're comfortable and giving them the best life so it feels like you're going against everything in your body to say yeah. I'm going to make this decision to put you know put my pet to sleep and you feel like you're playing god and it feels like a yeah. very unnatural feeling and I get told that all the time that it's just it's so heartbreaking for people to have to actually pick up the phone and and give me a call Um, but I also think that making this decision on behalf of your pet that may be experiencing discomfort or beginning to suffer I think that it is one of the kindest things that you can possibly do for your pet and um, you know there are a lot of really good tools out there that I will give to families to help them to decide when it is the right time to yeah. say goodbye. Um, you know, there, there are some very simple things, you know, questions that you can ask yourself about this decision making. So, you know, I sometimes say to families, you know, what were the top five things that your pet loved to do um, yeah. when they were young and happy and healthy and yeah. when they can no longer do three of the five 
of those favorite activities, then you may start to have to question whether or not their quality of life is adequate. Um, You know, you look, you can go back and look at at how your pet used to be before their illness. So whether or not that's looking at photos or videos and actually trying to compare what are they, what, how have they, how much have they deteriorated or changed over time? Because a lot of times your, their condition might deteriorate or get worse very gradually. And so you don't actually see it, but by looking back at videos or pictures, then it becomes really obvious that, that they have been declining. And that sometimes is a big eye opener for families and really helps to, to know that they're making the right decision. And then another tool that I think is really helpful is to actually mark the good days and the bad days on a calendar. And there's a really good free app out there called the gray muzzle app. And it allows you to input all the good days and bad days. And it can actually keep track um, throughout the day or even weeks or across months of how many good and bad days your pet may be having. So you can start to track trends and that's a really good visual and more quantitative way of being able to see that, um, that your pet may be declining and starting to not have a good quality of life anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, overall, I try to, to tell people that don't focus on just one factor you know, yeah. for instance, if your pet's not eating, that's when you're, you'll know it's the right time. Or yeah. if as soon as my pet can't get up anymore, then I'm going to know it's the right time. Yeah. I would try to look, you know, in terms of looking at quality of life, there's so much more that you can, can uh, evaluate. And I try to break yes. it into three main categories for people. So right. I think looking at their physical well-being and their emotional well-being, as well as your pet's social well-being and looking at all three factors together, that can be the best way of getting an overall sense of how your pet's quality of life is. Yeah. So in terms of their physical well-being, you ask questions like, are they able to breathe comfortably? Are they eating and drinking well? Or are they losing any weight or becoming dehydrated? Are they able to walk, urinate, defecate? And are they still grooming on their own? Yeah. And are they able to actually sleep through the night? That's a big one, Um, especially pets as they're getting older. They don't often sleep through the night or they may be a bit uncomfortable in getting up and down. And and that does really start to affect their quality of life. Yeah. And then, you know, in terms of on the emotional side of things, um, are, is your pet able to enjoy their regular routine? Yeah. Do they have a good level of mental stimulation at home? You know, I see some pets that sit in the same bed all day long because they can't really get up anymore. And they sort of just stare at the same, you know, same spot yeah. in the house all day long. You know, yeah. are they are they actually getting enough mental stimulation to to have a good quality of life? Yeah. And, um, you know, another consideration is, you know, do you think your pet's coping with their disease well? You know, yeah. is it is it affecting their their emotional well being on that side of things, and um and 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 a big one as pets get older, as you know, they they start to experience a lot of stress and anxiety, yeah. and yeah. that that's also a very, I think, overlooked 
uh, a factor of quality of life that we really do need to to be able to take seriously for our little pets as they get older. Yeah. Yeah. So this the social aspect of evaluating your pet's quality of life is is you know do they have the same level of interaction with their family? You know, do they want to come and greet you at the door? Do they want to come up for cuddles and scratches? Are they still affectionate with you? And are they playful? And do they still enjoy the relationships with other animals in the same way that they yeah. used to? So, you know, do you have multiple pets in your household and do they still enjoy spending time together as they yeah. used to do? You know, for outdoor cats, you could ask yourself, you know, do they still like to go outside and explore? Are they interested in their environment? And, and yeah. for dogs, you know, do they still want to go for a walk? or go to the park and, you know, as much as they can just get joy out of the things that they used to do socially. And that that's the third factor that I like to, you know, take into account when I'm deciding a pet's overall quality of life. Yeah. Great. But that's some really good advice there, Courtney, you know, breaking it down into those physical, emotional and social factors. And I think the other point that you mentioned earlier was that, um, you know, if we are with our pets every day, we may not necessarily notice those small changes, but those small changes that happen daily become incremental over time. And so the way you've broken that down really helps make it a lot more tangible as to how to assess the quality of life. And perhaps just touching on some of those things that, you know, um, that Courtney mentioned could be decreases in appetite or they're not drinking as well or their sleep's very interrupted um, or they might be very confused or, or not interacting as, as well as they should with the family. And those are all things yeah. that do help make it a little bit more quantitative when, when trying to, you know, come up with a, a, a decision like this. And as mentioned already, it's very important to take your vet's um, guidance and advice into account, but probably no one knows your pet better than you would know your pet and that's why it's good to you know take this advice from Courtney and um, that's also a great suggestion about that app the gray muzzle app so um, for any listeners who are interested um, that's uh, an app to look up for sure so you know Courtney perhaps some of the listeners may not know what's actually involved in the actual process of euthanasia it might be worthwhile for us just to outline that that procedure and just talk about what's involved and perhaps a lot of listeners might also be wondering you know is that a painful procedure for my pet so let's unpack that a little bit yeah no definitely I think it's uh, in terms of um you know, when your when your pet reaches that point, you know, a lot of families are confused and they think, well, I I sort of I wish that my pet would just pass away in their sleep. You know, so you don't yeah. have to make that decision, and you just want them to have a a natural death that just involves them drifting off to sleep and not waking up. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of the way that I describe euthanasia is it, that's exactly what euthanasia does. And it allows your pet to fall asleep first and then pass away in their sleep. So it is yeah. by far the most peaceful and gentle way for a pet to leave this world. And when you have a, an appointment that's set up to 
be able to say goodbye to your pet, then you know you can guarantee that they're going to have a really peaceful passing. Um, whereas if you wait until your pet is is passing naturally, it isn't always peaceful and it isn't always yeah. as gentle as you would hope. And I find so many families that sort of waited for their pet to start passing naturally and then found themselves in an emergency situation where they're rushing off yeah. to the vet because it's not always very quick. And it yeah. often does, you know, involve some degree of suffering for the animal as they're passing. And yeah. um, and so I like to encourage people to to choose euthanasia wherever possible, because it yeah. just means that you can guarantee that your pet has a very, very gentle and pain-free passing. Yeah. And yeah. I think I think you you mentioned some important points there. The you know, it's it it may not be that quick if it's a natural passing. It can be unpredictable. Euthanasia, on the other hand, is a lot more controlled, a lot more comfortable for the pet. And and as Courtney mentioned as well, the the preparation that's used in the process of euthanizing a pet is a product that is like an anesthetic. So it is as if the pet is going un, under an anesthetic for an operation. However, it's it's obviously a, a level, a depth of anesthesia that that obviously arrests the the breathing, um, the brain functioning, and obviously arrests the heart as well. So that's ultimately what happens during this process. So yeah, certainly um, we do have the option of euthanasia in veterinary medicine. Um, and I think we should look upon that as as something that is actually a great advantage to have. Um, it's not always um, legal in the human field. So there's some countries where it's not legal. There's some countries where certain states um, do not uh, allow for the, the euthanasia of people. But in, in veterinary medicine, it, it is legal and it's something that we should respect um, but use appropriately for the benefit of the pet. The other thing, Courtney, that you mentioned before was, um, you know, deciding whether someone would like to be present uh, or not. For those pet owners that do decide if they would like to be present, is there anything that they should be aware of? Um, some signs that may happen during the process that may make them distressed if they're not aware of them. Perhaps let's just touch on one or two of those briefly. Yeah. So what you can expect at a home euthanasia service is that the, the very first thing that the vet will do is, is give your pet a medication to make them feel relaxed and comfortable. And yeah. I, I give it the analogy that they'll feel like they're floating on a cloud because it's it's exactly the feeling. So if they're feeling any discomfort, that will all go away. If they're feeling any stress or anxiety, that will go away. And they'll just yeah. be able to lie with you and you'll be able to spend a bit of time at the beginning of the appointment, just giving your pet lots of love where you know that they're really comfortable. Yeah. Once they are really relaxed, then the veterinarian will place a, a little ivy cannula in in your pet's one of your pet's legs and by that point they won't know what's happening they won't feel that at all because they've been given the relaxing medication first and so 
that that IV line is placed and and then when the family's ready then the medication which as Brett said is an anesthetic will be given slowly through the IV line and the pet will pass very peacefully in their sleep um some things that I do like to just warn pet owners about um after their pet is passing is that if they happen to have a full bladder after they've passed away then sometimes that bladder just relaxes and or the the little and you may have a little bit of wee that comes out um yeah the same goes for if you know if your pet has a little bit of feces there then that might come out a little bit as well yeah and and probably the one thing that i do try to tell most families is that after their pet has passed their their pet's eyes generally remain slightly open and yeah. that's just because that's the natural it, it, when everything is relaxed that's the natural position for the eyes to be in and i know that can sometimes be confusing for yeah. par- you know pet parents because they think once you've passed your eyes should be closed but yeah i i'll i always let people know that ahead of time so that that you know that's not a surprise to them yeah um there there can be a few other little reactions of the that naturally occur after you've passed um if your pet's been given a, a sedative medication first then these tend not to happen but if yeah. if they haven't then you may notice that your pet breathes a little bit deeper as they're passing away yeah. or just after they've passed they may take one deeper breath um before they've fully passed yeah and um and that is you know we often would tell people to expect something like that as well if if we haven't given the sedative medication first yeah and i think that's yeah. very important that you outlined that courtney because rather be um aware that it is a possibility that these signs might appear um uh, as opposed to not being aware and have them appear for example if an owner were to see a pet um taking what's called an agonal breath um it's a reflex breath it may be perceived as the pet gasping for air and being in pain but as courtney mentioned it's um it's it's just part of the normal process as the body shuts down there you know and the eyes um the pupils dilate the eyes sort of are have a distant stare about them and the eyelids do remain open that's all all natural i think we've all you know seen images on tv and in movies of people dying and you know we see them putting the blankets over the 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 dead body we see them sort of zipping up a, a body bag and similarly with pets you know the the pet will be covered in a blanket or it'll be placed in a body bag and as courtney mentioned when a pet is euthanized or um or dies the all the sphincters do relax so they can wet themselves or mess themselves and so body bags whether it's for a human or for an animal these are all part of helping keep you know things clean and tidy whilst the body's being transported until such time as it's cremated so you know these are all things that probably aren't always nice to talk about but i think just giving the clarity and visibility to people will help um ease some of the stress involved in in the process yeah i agree i think the more that you know what could happen and and you're prepared for that i think it makes it easier 
And then, you know, not to worry if it does happen, that it's a completely natural part of the dying process. And it doesn't mean that your pet is experiencing any sort of distress or discomfort. Um, it's, it's, it's important to know so that you're comfortable with the procedure. Yeah. And Courtney, we've touched on briefly sort of home versus in clinic euthanasias, perhaps, um, expand on, on the, some of the benefits perhaps of doing a home euthanasia. Yeah. So, so I do home euthanasias only. Um, and I, I have done both, you know, I, I've worked at a clinic for many years and I think, you know, it is really comes down to being a personal decision. Some yeah. families would rather be, you know, be in the clinic where they know the veterinarians, they know the team and their animals comfortable at the clinic. And, you know, the thought of doing it at home maybe would just be too sad for, you know, for the family. So they would yeah. choose to go into the clinic environment, which is absolutely a nice, uh, a nice option. And yeah. Whereas I, I find some families would really prefer to be at home and, and especially for those pets that are particularly anxious at the vet yeah. clinic or particular, you know, so cats, they really don't like leaving the comfort of their own home. So I think yeah. for cats, it's really nice. And, and also, you know, if, if you've got a big dog and it's really hard to get them in and out of the car and you don't want to have that added stress on their final day, you know, yeah. there, there are a lot of cases where you may find that it's a really nice option to be able to say goodbye at home. And yeah. the, I guess the difference of being at home is that you can somewhat personalize the, the you know, your final goodbye and make it as beautiful as you possibly can, where your pet is most comfortable and in the, the familiarity of, of their home and in their favorite bed. And, you know, I've even had some families do it outside in the back garden with the sun beaming down yeah. and one family that their dog's favorite place was the beach. So we all went down to the beach and had, you yeah, know, right. had their last, the last hour down at the beach in yeah. their favorite place. Yeah, so you can right. really make it personal, which is really nice. And there's no time limit. You can take as long as you need to say goodbye. Yeah. And you also have the privacy of your own home. So it's really nice for the family members to just be with each other. And there's no one else around. And you can grieve the way that you need to grieve yeah. and take as much time as you need to say goodbye. And that's um, that's really nice. And and. The veterinarian that comes to your home will also organize the aftercare, and I think you'll yeah. be chatting more um, about that in a in the next episode. But the nice thing about being at home is that you know that's all organized for you as well, so you don't have to think about that, and yeah. um, and you can just stay in your home, and they'll very very gently transfer your pet into the care of, uh, of the cremation facility, and and you get to stay at home and not have to leave the clinic upset and try to drive home after the appointment yeah. because no doubt you'll be you'll be really upset so it's it yeah. is nice in that sense that you get to stay at home and just be with your family and i think there's actually some people that become quite surprised by their emotions um they don't realize what a strong bond how strong that bond actually was with their pet and um, they can certainly be surprised by their own emotions. So doing it in the home environment certainly has its benefits, not only for the, the pet, but the, um, but the pet owner as well. 
And but in either way, whether it's in the home environment or at the vet clinic, each person's decision will be unique, and um, there'll be some people that benefit from the home environment and others that benefit from the clinic environment. I think the take-home message is that you know whether it's at home or at, at the clinic, the vet and the vet team will be making sure that your pet is as comfortable as possible and that they're receiving the care and love and the comfort that they deserve during this time. So either way, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's an important time in, in the pet's life and in your life as a pet parent. Courtney, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but I'd like to reiterate it that sometimes people feel a lot of guilt during this time. And perhaps let's just uh, expand on that a little bit more. How does one try and avoid these feelings of guilt? Why do these feelings crop up? And what can one do to try and avoid them? Do you have any more yeah, thoughts on that? I, yeah, I think that that guilt that you're describing is can actually be debilitating. And um, the, the, the feeling of guilt, knowing that you're your pet has is reaching the end of their life and that you're going to have to make this decision um and and knowing that you're going to lose your family member that you just love so much um that there's actually a name for that type of grief and it's called anticipatory grief and i don't think people really understand how much it's going to hit them until you're actually in the the midst of it and you just yeah. don't understand why you're feeling so sad. And I think it's different because in, in the human side of things, you don't have to make that decision to put a pet, uh, your family member to sleep or, or to yeah. choose euthanasia for a family member. It's, it's not in your hands. And it's different when you have a pet because that it is up to you ultimately to make that decision if it's in the best interest of your your pet and having to make that decision just you you hold so much grief and and it could be debilitating yeah and also thinking like what am I going to do when I lose my pet you know he's been with me or she's been with me for 15 years I don't know what my life's going to be like yeah Um, and that can really hold you back from making the decision that you need to make and I think you know acknowledging that that it you know it's it's a huge thing to have to say goodbye and to also yeah. be the one to make the decision to say goodbye yeah. and to really you know what uh, what I try to tell people is that you are giving your pet a final gift and you should yeah. not feel guilty in the slightest your pet needs you more than ever to to protect them from feeling any discomfort or pain. And if you don't make that decision, you know, even though it goes against everything you, you know, you want to do, if you don't make that decision, then you will, you know, something will end up happening where your pet does suffer and you'll end up carrying that guilt with you for the rest of your life. And so it, it feels awful because you feel guilty make, making the decision, but you feel guilty if you don't yeah. make the decision in the same in the same sense. And so, but what I've heard time and time again is that the guilt that you feel if you don't make the decision early enough and your pet suffers is far greater than the guilt that you feel in the moment of having to make the decision. Yeah, right. And um, I think, yeah, I mean, there's no way around it, but I think actually 
reaching out to a veterinarian who has, you know, had a lot of experience with this, that, that they can really help you to, to tell you that you're doing the right thing. And I think yeah. having someone to be there to support you and say, this is what I would do if this was my pet and you yeah. shouldn't feel guilty about it. This is what he needs. And if he could talk to you, this is what he would ask you for. And, yeah. and to help to alleviate some of that guilt that you're feeling that can be really helpful in that, yeah. in that really difficult time. Yeah, definitely. You know, as mentioned, it's, it's not a decision that needs to be made on your own. Take advice from your vet. And I think the other important thing, Courtney, is that, you know, a longer life is not always superior to a better life. So just by getting an extra few days or weeks or months out of your pet because you're feeling those feelings of guilt doesn't mean to say that you've done you any better for your pet. And there's, I mean, there's a beautiful saying that I that I can't remember who who it's by, but it's it's goes, it's not the years in your life that count, but the life in your years. So it really is about putting the quality of your pet's life first and foremost. And if you if you place that quality of life first and foremost, I think you know, as Courtney says, you can help overcome those potential feelings of of guilt that will pop up in, in your mind. Okay, audience, well, let's sum up. In the end of last stage in our pets can be a challenging time for all. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And we're fortunate that we do have the legal option in veterinary medicine for the humane killing or euthanasia of pets. And we should use this when appropriate for the benefit of our pets. And deciding when to euthanize is a very difficult decision that we have to make as pet parents. So it's always best to make this decision with the guidance and advice from your vet and with the appropriate uh, support from you know family members and friends. I think putting the pet's quality of life front and centre, as mentioned, is the best way to provide clarity on when is the best time to opt for euthanasia. And once a decision has been made, I think planning in advance where possible helps alleviate some of the stress that can be associated with euthanasia. And these decisions might include things such as, you know, whether or not to be present during the euthanasia or electing to have a home versus an in-clinic euthanasia or what to do with your pet's remains. Um, and then do what's best for your pet, given your particular situation. And this will help alleviate those feelings of guilt that may arise at these times. So Courtney, it's been an absolute pleasure having you as a guest here on the Pet Purpose Podcast. Thank you for helping explain what's involved in palliative care and what's involved in the lead up to the euthanasia of our pets. Thanks also for you know, helping provide the compassionate care for pets during this end stage of, of life and also for helping pet parents with saying their final goodbye. So if any of our listeners would like to reach out to you at Rest Your Paws, how is the best way for them to go about doing that? Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Brett, for having me. It's been a really lovely conversation. And um, I yeah. hope that the the audience has found some of these things helpful in, in uh, you know, if they're approaching a, a similar situation for their pet. Um, if if anyone does want to have uh, you know, a home veterinary service for their animal as they reach the end of their life, 
Um, my service, as you said, is called Rest Your Paws. And at the moment, uh, we work as a mobile service across all of Sydney. And we yeah. help families to say goodbye in the most peaceful and loving way that they possibly can when that time comes and offer support and guidance around the decision making. And, and we really do know how tough it is for families in this position. So, um, you know, you, you know, you're more than welcome to reach out to us if you have any questions. Um, you can find us online. The website is restyourpause.com.au. And um, all of the contact information is on our website. And, and another thing that you may find really helpful if you've got a, an elderly or a terminally ill pet is on my website, I have some incredible resources for how to tell if your dog or your cat is in pain. And these are scoring tools that you can take at home, you know, to, to at least get a general sense of if your, your pet may be showing signs of discomfort. There's also some really great quality of life scoring tools. So you can take the test um, on the resources section of my, my website. And, um, and just to give you more information in general about uh, palliative care in pets and uh, in-home euthanasia and what it involves. And there's lots of great resources there. So I hope you find them helpful. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'll put some links to those in the show notes for this episode. So, yeah, thanks once again, Courtney. Lovely. Thanks for having me. This episode of the Pet Purpose Podcast was brought to you by tailovation.com.au. If you're looking for credible information and quality products for your pet, visit tailovation.com.au. And follow along on Instagram and Facebook using the handle at tailovation. That's T-A-I-L-O-V-A-T-I-O-N. Instead of a standing ovation, it's a tail ovation. You can also find a range of pet products from food, treats and toys, to flea and tick products, and much more at the Tail Ovation shop online. And if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, then head over to the podcast page on the Tail Ovation website. In the show notes, you'll find links to the Rest Your Paws website, as well as links to the Tail Ovation shop. So visit tailovation.com.au to access the show notes. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks for being such a great audience. Please go ahead and share this episode with other passionate pet parents and do your bit to create happy, healthy pets. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then please do us a favor and leave a review. Remember, you're awesome and your pet thinks so too. It's tails up to that. Wouldn't you agree, boy? Ruff, ruff.